This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Welcome to Nightlight, our home movie podcast. I'm one of your host, Prince, also known as Head Knight, alongside me, Week. Freddie. Always keeping it spoopy. Always and forever. David is not here. David is currently celebrating his anniversary with his girlfriend, Bella. So happy anniversary, you two. We are still a group of nights with an absolute love for film and a passion for horror. This is a podcast that takes a different horror film to break down, discuss the ultimate question. Why horror? So with the lights, sit back and let the darkness envelop you. If you like that and want extra horror-related content, head over to patreon.com slash nightlightpod. That's signed with a what? K. Okay, Freddie, this is our second time trying this. Yes, it is. Okay. So, so you don't know that. They, they don't know that, but they're about to because I, I feel like this is too good to, to not share. Right. This is what we call a cursed film, a cursed <laughs> podcast episode. <laughs> so this is our second time trying to record this episode because uh, as the title says, we are recording The Exorcist. Um, spooky. But, spooky. But when we were first recorded The Exorcist, the whole power went out in our studio and the entire building and the surrounding areas to the point where we were actually kind of trapped inside of the office. <laughs> so, yeah, it was kind of spooky, actually. <laughs> it was kind of spooky. Uh, literally, it was Especially dark during this everywhere. Uh, the, w- w- the only thing that we literally had as a saying literally a lot, but the only thing that we had was uh, for a light source was our phones and the exit signs. It was the eeriest thing possible. Yeah, which makes perfect sense for this movie. It does. Yeah, it does. It makes perfect sense for this movie. But another reason why we're recording this again is because we lost everything, and we were only about maybe twenty minutes close to being done. So uh, <laughs> we're doing it again. But Round before two. we get started on that, I want to give a special shout out to our patrons over on Patreon.com/slash/NightlightPods. It's not with a K. Nashia, Frank, Kit. Kristen, Laura, Bragalock, Spencer, Lizzie, Josh, Vaughn, Alexis, Johnny, Layla, Eric, Kelly, Daniel, Cheyenne, Carrie, Stu, Anna, Stephanie, Calvin, Drew, also known as Silent Night, also known as a podcast manager, Scary Stuff Podcast, Patrick, oh, Willow, Jessica, Jared, Jasmine, Chantal, Rio, Jesse, Joe, Kaylee, Rob, and last but certainly not least, Freddie. Hey. hey, I've noticed that every time I say Chantal's name, I say it with so much enthusiasm. As you should. <laughs> As, I should. Name. As I should. As I should. It is a great name. But hi, Chantal. Hopefully you're well. <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. Uh, so as we stated at the, at the beginning of this episode, we are talking about The Exorcist for to conclude our month here for Somebody Call a Priesta. This episode was actually brought to us by our Ghoulish Knights. They voted this in. And if you would like to also vote this in, you can do so over on our Patreon.com slash NightlightPod. That's Night with a K. Um, you can sign up for our $7 trial as well if you just want to kind of just like, you know be a little fly on the wall and see what you kind of get for, for being a patron for Nightlight. But first and foremost, Freddie, 
thoughts? Ooh, The Exorcist. The Exorcist. So, Again. <laughs> as I stated before, uh, first time listener, um, the big thing is for me, I saw this movie late in my years as a, a living human. Right. You said you saw it last year. <laughs> last year was the first time watched for this movie. So this was that my second so watch. wild to me that, you, that it, it yeah, took yeah, because you that long. We always talk about like, oh, this is like the godfather of horror genre of like well, cinemas I mean, in general. There wouldn't be possession films without. Right. This kind of led the way for the possession genre to live on. Yeah. And as we talked about, like in uh, uh, Ouija Origin of Evil, there's even like a little shot there that's like an homage to this movie. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with the priest Father coming Marin out. coming in Correct. and stuff, yeah. So this movie is beloved. It's also seen as one of the scariest movies ever to exist. True. People leaving the theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, word of mouth of being like, hey, have you seen The Exorcist? And it's kind of like a... Uh, like a dance, like, oh, we should go see it and see it if we can, like, really manage through it and stuff like that, uh, which is great. And it, it makes sense. And the first time I was watching this, I watched it with my roommate at the time, and she doesn't really do horror in general. Sure. And I think we both had nightmares that night, which wow. is kind of funny to think about. But this movie is very interesting because there's a lot of randomness to it as well, uh, especially with the opening scene. I was like, what am I watching? The Mummy or, like, <laughs> yeah, Indiana Jones? definitely like People are, like, uh, trying to discover artifacts and stuff like that too which is still like a cool way to like dive into this and maybe the lore a little bit um but we don't really revisit it ever yeah Yeah, (laughs) like i said there's a lot of random scenes in this movie which maybe shouldn't have been in there or not but at the center of this entire movie is that it's super well done oh yeah Um, absolutely I think I remember talking about the sound design being really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some really creative shots as well. There's some great use of lighting. Um, and the scares are there. There's something that's very yeah, no, traumatic. It, this, this movie's scary. Yeah. yeah it's scary it, it, it has, and I feel like it has to do a lot with Linda Blair being a child. Oh, yeah. And yeah, all the stuff that, that she story. has to like go through and say and do for this movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's something that like sticks with you. And that's yeah. the thing with this movie. It stays long beyond its runtime within your mind and you s- start thinking about it more and you get really like, not enthusiastic, but like you really appreciate the time and effort they did with like the makeup design, yeah. um, how severe the scenes are and how really and, risky they went. And you got to think about it too. Like this, this has come from the 70s, right? right. Like, like, I mean, granted in the 70s, there, there were a lot of leisures with um films in general right. i mean that's how we were able to get texas chainsaw massacre that's how we were able to get hammer films that's how we were able to get uh, uh black christmas and mm-hmm. last house on the left and so on and so forth like i go on and on and on about how provocative the 70s are um i mean there there's a lot more smarter people who can talk about this more in a granular scale but in the 70s this was this was a, a, a wild time so for <laughs> us to was. get a very provocative possession horror movie in 1973 that went to win Oscars. Right. That is unheard of. And that will probably never happen again. <laughs> hopefully not. Well, yeah, hopefully yeah. not, but I, I doubt it will based off of the Oscars reputation. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just, it's, it's interesting to see something quite on a, a, a scale such as the exorcist to, pull in a box office of $112.3 million in the 1970s and then go on to win Oscars. And on top of that, being able to be placed in theaters around Christmas. 
that is fucking unheard of. Like, these are <laughs> things yeah, yeah. that will never happen again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, with the release date and everything, too. And and you know what? This lasts uh, the test of time, too. I feel like it still looks great. Oh, yeah. Um, it looks awesome. It's not really dated. You can actually, like, really get scared from just the makeup design alone and stuff like that. And, you know, practical effects are always great to see. Yes. Um, I mean, because they do timeless, a really great right? job. Like, yeah. Practical, like, when you have practical effects, like, it, it's not, it's never going to age. Exactly. It's, it's perfect. Just, it's well done. It's well crafted. It's well directed. And like I said, the sound design is haunting. You do get the, like, the theme music as well that sticks with you. Yeah, the tubular bells. Um, yeah, no. I mean, this movie is great. I feel like I, I said this last time we recorded, but it doesn't hit as hard the second time watch, which yeah, is yeah, fine. Yeah. That's fair. Uh, because the first time experience is so crazy and bonkers and off the yeah. walls. Like now it's you ingrained. expect it. It's ingrained. Yeah. So now you're going to first time watching it. You don't expect where it goes and it goes places for yeah, sure. For sure. Absolutely. Um, yeah. That, that makes total sense. So this is a, uh, this is a great film to watch for a first time watch. It's so good. I agree. I agree. Uh, in, in, uh, shit. As, as y'all can hear me talk about this movie, I love this movie. Come on. We like it. We Come love on. It. I love this movie. I absolutely adore this movie. I think it's phenomenal. And I, I think a lot of, what we get for possession horror films try to emulate this in some type of way. And I think it's extraordinarily hard um, for uh, them to emulate this movie because all you think about is The Exorcist. And the best thing about The Exorcist is that it is drowned. Well, best and worst thing about The Exorcist, it's drowned in pop culture. So yes. you're, you're, you're coming to expect certain scenes when you watch it for the first time and that's i think that's a bit of a bummer and it's it, as weird as this may sound like I'm, I'm very excited for my daughter to be old enough to eventually watch this movie and i hope she doesn't get things ruined for her when it comes to watching this film because i want that moment to be as scary for like for it was for you and for myself and for everyone who got to see this movie um and especially for my mom, I'm so fucking jealous that she got to actually see this when it came out. Right. Um, and she, like, skipped school to go see <laughs> this movie. And, oh, God, I'm, I'm so jealous of that experience. Um, so, yeah, I mean, overall, I love this movie. I think it's phenomenal. If you haven't seen The Exorcist, go watch The Exorcist and come back to this episode. And then follow it up with The Exorcist 3. Because, like, skip two. Oh, yeah, definitely skipped two. I mean, William Peter Blatty skipped two. Freddie skipped two. <laughs> I, I technically didn't skip two, but I, but I should have. <laughs> I should have skipped two. But, man, let's go ahead and jump into this, man. <laughs> the Exorcist, directed by William Freak and released December 26, 1973, with a runtime of two hours and one uh, one minute. By the way, this runtime is based off of the uh, original cut, not the theatrical cut, and not the director's cut. So we're not talking about the director's cut. So no walking down the stairs backwards, spider crawling with blood coming out of their mouth. We're not talking about that. Um, but hey, there you go. If, if you were expecting that scene, I just said it. Budget $12 million, <laughs> a box office of $112.3 million with a rating of 84% on Rotten Tomatoes. Let me move my water bottle in my way so I can see my notes. We open straight to the title shot, fading to a desert in northern Iraq, field workers mining and excavating. A kid runs through the workers to Father Mirren to let him know that he found something at the base of the mound. He slowly gets up to follow the kid over the mound. Another worker explains that they found 
found lamps, arrows, and coins. Mirren picks up one of the coins, referring to it as strange. The worker judges that it isn't from this period. Mirren looks over at um, Mirren looks over at it, digging through it to find a statue. He takes the brush out of the worker's pocket. Well, not even asking to. He just like. Whoop. <laughs> brushing some of the dirt away to reveal a beast head cut to Mirren sitting outside a restaurant waiting for a shot of something to drink with his pills he shakes as he reaches for them his tremor subsiding after taking one of the pills the waiter comes back to him wondering if he needs anything else lets him know that he doesn't he, uh, that he doesn't before getting to pay him and leave i do want to mention one thing about father Mirren really quick mm. i want to mention mainly about the actor itself um, so at this time, the person who played Father Marion is Max von um, Sadow. At this time, Max von Sadow uh, is very young. He is very young, and that is all old man makeup. I would say I think he was in his forties when this was filmed. So it was nineteen twenty nine was when he was born, right? Let's do some maths. Um, so we got 1929. Yeah, like mid-40s. About mid-40s, right? Yeah. 1929, 44. And they made this man look like he... Looks now. Exactly. Well, I think he died. Well, um, yeah, I think he died in 2020. But um, but yes, I mean, how he did look. And it's absolutely incredible the amount of detail and makeup work that they put in this film. Just absolutely incredible jesus h christ as we continue we cut to Mirren sitting oh excuse me we we said that already he goes to see a blacksmith who's blind in one eye Mirren seeming to fade in and out from exhaustion inside Jusuet dean's office Mirren is looking at the head of the statue that was discovered Jusuet speaks quote evil against evil calling out Mirren. the the clock stops ticking behind him which catches his attention he goes to sit down Jusuet wishing that he didn't have to go Mirren expresses that there's something that must he must do i wonder what that something was was that something the exorcist for for this little girl you just like, i need to get back to america stat like because <laughs> because uh, he because okay the reason why i ask is because he we, doesn't be seen after this for a long time yeah we don't see him after this whole iraq scene um but we do get from uh uh, Reagan, that she says in her demonic state, Marin, get me Marin. So, like, I'm wondering if he felt compelled to go over there as well. That's uh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of stuff, and I just think it was like coincidence. The dots for us, right? Unfortunately, uh, I just think it was all like him trying to go to the bathroom real quick. It's like I gotta go. Uh, (laughs) There's something I must do. (laughs) There's something I must do. I must use the bathroom. (laughs) But I must leave afterwards. (laughs) He's like, I I noticed the clock clock stop. That's uh, that's my time to go. Um, That's my cue. It could be. Okay, very much could be. But I don't know. This is like a setup of him, like. He's the one that like goes after paranormal like adventures, I guess, by like finding these little trinkets. Well, and, like, oh, was, time off. That doesn't scare me, but I know where to go to see this big statue yeah. that's even scarier. Um, well, he was at like some like commune or something when they found him. Like that guy who handed him the letter was like just some random like priest. Right. 
<laughs> just like ran with you. Here you go, and he ran away. So I was just like, I don't know. Anyway, we'll get there. They sh- uh, eventually they <laughs> shake hands and hug while saying their goodbyes, passing up a row of men praying from going inside a bustling building. He walks through the corridor, passing by, and eventually making it back outside in an alleyway. As he walks, he almost is ran over by a horse pulling a carriage, but successfully moves out of the way. And uh, last time we d- discussed this, Freddie pointed right. out that there is a woman. That is in there, kind of dressed in all black, kind of like signifying death. Right. Like mourning or death or we even talked about like maybe the four horsemen. Maybe there's four horses in this movie. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, Which we yeah. didn't find, by the way. We only found two. Right. <laughs> so. But it could be like he literally just escaped death and she's like a grim reaper in the way. Yeah, maybe. And maybe it's just like, I'll be back. Right. You know. It's like death is near you now. Right. Exactly. Like evil's near you. Yeah. Evil against evil. Mirren drives up to a ruin, uh, greeted by two people pointing their guns at him. He waves at them. They recognize him and head back to their post. His attention to, is brought to a statue by the wind. Uh, needing a better look at the statue of a beast named Pazuzu, he decides to go up. His attention shifted to the sounds of pebbles falling. There's a man standing silently behind him as two dogs growl and fight, leaving us with Mirren and the statue staring at one another. So I did notice something. We What'd talked about the... The blacksmith with like um, one, one eye. One eye. Mm-hmm. Um, even the girl in the carriage has like um, a blind eye as well. No. Oh. And they emphasize a lot of the edits of the shot of just statues around with, with one also eye. one eye mm. for all of them. Shit, good, good, fine. So, uh, like, I don't know what the significance of that is, but it's like, yeah, it's definitely something that was intentional. Maybe something windows to the soul. There you go. Yeah. Fade to Georgetown, Washington, D.C. A mother named Chris McNeil is writing notes on a script before hearing a crash outside her room. She gets out of her bed, grabs a robe, and heads out to see where the sound is coming from. Outside her room, she hears the crash and rattle. Um... And a rattle coming from inside another room. She checks on her daughter, Reagan, who's sound asleep for her win- uh, with her windows open. Chris closes them before tucking her daughter in her blankets again, commenting about her loving her before kissing her on the forehead. She heads downstairs, greeting um, her houseworker, Willie, who's making breakfast. Another houseworker, Carl, comes into the kitchen with a jug of water, greeting Chris before sitting down. He, uh, or before sitting it down. She greets him, sharing that they have rats and she wants him to get some traps. They go back and forth about the house, either having rats or not. He finally agrees, willing to leave right at that moment. She explains that stores aren't open yet and for him to wait, but he wants to see. Willie yelling at him that they're all closed. <laughs> this was this was great. That, and that's the thing that I also want to mention about this movie. This movie is actually funny. Yeah. Like it is genuinely funny and like there are very comedic moments inside The Exorcist that work so well with this film. Like it is it is so funny in certain moments for sure and we even have that f- super hilarious like uh but fucked up uh <laughs> <the> <laughs> kitchen scene, scene later in the party. Uh, with the party. Yeah, yeah. So like it's it, but still like this movie was genuinely a funny movie. So it's unintentionally, just, maybe I don't think so. I think all that was that intentional. was all intentional. Yeah, I think yeah, that was I all intentional because, like, it, it felt comedic. the The movie does have really good balance of like, I agree. hey, we're gonna slow things down. Things are gonna be weird, but at the same time, we're p- not like really preparing you of what you're gonna see next every time you enter that room. Yeah, which is great. Absolutely. 
Cut to the film set of Crash Course. Chris comes out of her trailer calling for the director, Burke Dennings, wanting him to take a look at the script. She argues that it doesn't make sense. He tries to cartoonishly explain it, but she doesn't understand why they are tearing the building down. Excuse me. He comments about summoning the writer who's currently in, in Paris. She jokes about him hiding, but he rebuttals that he's probably out fucking. All right, so we know the type of man Burke Dennings is, <laughs> causing the crowd to laugh, including Father Karras, who's mixed in. The scene begins, and they were all like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> like, is it funny now? <laughs> like, it was like a fucking sitcom, the yeah, way yeah, that they yeah. were laughing. It was like there was a sign that like says, laugh audience. now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the scene begins, Chris walking through the crowd for her scene. She takes the megaphone from the acting pro- protester. Uh, defending the students who have the right for the for an education. While the scene continues, Cars walks away from the set, but looks back multiple times. And I mentioned last time uh, on this where we, why was he there and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know the real reason why he was there Do now that I had time money? to, well, no, but now that I have time to like marinate on it, he likes movies. We got get he that classification movies. later yeah, that yeah, yeah. he really loves movies. Um, right. So that it's was uh, that's the thing there. Like he likes Be movies. He's it. a fan of movies. Yeah. And it was a movie playing in his town. He was like, why not? I'm going to go check it out for a little bit right. before I have to go. Maybe I, don't I know. can be in the extra or something. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Chris walks down to her driver, letting him know that she is going to walk home and for him to take her back uh, to her house. As she walks down the street, we get the we get the amazing theme song, the tabular bells as kids run past. This is so fucking good. Great shot. Long tracking shots. uh, Kind of reminded me of Halloween a little bit, especially because our kids dressed up in costumes and it's Halloween time and it's fall. Kind of like a Laurie Laurie Strode walking down her neighborhood. Mm -hmm. We get her walking down hers and it's just some time to like spend time with this character and that's something that this movie does a lot it will jump from character to character but stays with them for a little while before jumping back into the intertwined storylines of what's actually happening to her daughter yeah which is cool to see them all come together at the end yeah absolutely she smiles as she continues her walk passing up two um chatting nuns dressed in white which we see those chatting nuns Again, in The Exorcist 3. Are they the nuns in the hallway? uh, They are the nuns in the hallway, yes. (laughs) 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 Stopping when she um, spots cars speaking to another priest about considering himself. I don't know if they're the exact nuns, but the correlation (laughs) couldn't be too spot on, right? Right, right. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Um, considering himself to be a fraud, he pl- a plane cr- flies overhead, drowning out what Karis is saying back to him. Chris mm. makes it home, calling out to her assistant, Sharon, who's in the kitchen typing something on the typewriter. She calls out to Chris, asking about her day. Chris claims that it wasn't too bad, comparing comparing the film to a Walt Disney version of Ho Chi Minh. Sharon uh, hands her an invitation to dinner at the White House. Chris w- um, wonders if it's a big party. Sharon shares that it's only five or six people. Chris then nonchalantly is intrigued. <laughs> And tosses the invitation back on the table. 
I like how like she gave something else to her, and it's like, oh, you also got an invitation to the White House, like, right? This is just secondary. Whatever. Exactly. She's like nonchalantly, like, all right. It was like, oh, a big party. It's like, oh, no, it's intimate party with the president. Gross. <laughs> Not again. They want more one to one time with us. Her daughter Reagan greets and kisses her. Chris asks what she did today. Uh, what she did today. Reagan shares the day swooning over the horse the, that a man allowed her to ride. Asking her mom if they could get a horse. Chris dismisses it since they are in Washington, wanting to chat more about it when they get home. Reagan is excited about that thought, asking uh, when she can have one. Chris having to repeat herself that uh, they'll see. Damn, they rich, rich. They rich, rich, rich. They rich, 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 rich. Reagan takes something out of the jar. Sharon and Chris trying to stop her. Sharon looked like she was legit, like, upset that she took something, though. Like, Sharon was like, like, what are you doing? How dare you? She runs away, giggling as her mom chases her. They playfully wrestle for whatever she took. Quick cut to a subway. Karis walks up to the platform while the train is coming by. A homeless man asks if he could help him out, especially since he used to be an old altar boy and he considers himself to be a Catholic. Karis just stares at him and leaves. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I mean, I get it, though. Like, I I get... She needs the money more... Right. It's for his mom. For his mom. Yeah, yeah. Um, But that's such such the... The, the Christian way, you know, just yeah. like, <laughs> all right. God will provide, right? God Come will on. provide. Yeah. You keep your head up. He asks, he makes it uh, to a neighborhood where kids are just jumping over a beaten up car because that's the fun thing to do in this neighborhood. He goes inside a broke down building, entering inside an apartment. The radio was playing on a Greek station. He takes his collar off, calling for his mom. The room is filled with photos of his glory days as a boxer. He finds his mom asleep in the chair. He wakes her up. She's happy to see him speaking in Greek as she greets him. Demi, Demi, so good to see you, Demi. <laughs> Asking how he is, he lets her know that he's fine. He, he eats some food that she prepared for him um, as she lets as she lets him know uh, that his uncle came to visit her. Wanting to hear more about it, he asks her when, and she answers last month. Mm. This causes him to nod his head almost shamefully. So just to even, like, show that, like, She's no one comes to time. see her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's That's been so alone. sad. It's so sad. Her food looked good as shit, though. Like, <laughs> oh, my God, that looks so good. I was like, oh, man, I want some Mediterranean food so bad right now. Um, he helps her with a wrap on her leg. He tells her that she she has to stay off of it, especially going up and down the stairs. Well, motherfucker, if you came to see me every once in a while, I got to <laughs> get groceries. Who's going to get right. groceries for me? It's 1970s. I don't have DoorDash. <laughs> she has to go down. Like, come on. He explains that he uh, that he could take her somewhere um, that she would that she would where she wouldn't be alone listening to a radio. She responds to him in Greek before speaking in English about this place being her house, and she's not going anywhere. He sighs as he gets up mm. uh, to smoke a cigarette. She knows that her son isn't happy and is worried about something, wondering what it is. He claims that he's fine as he sparks a cigarette. She doesn't push it. Kars gets ready to go, his mother back asleep in the rocking chair. He places some money on the dresser before kissing her on the forehead goodbye, silently leaving out of the room. Cut to Reagan showing her mom the figure that she made. Chris puts it on the freezer to dry. Next to it, a Ouija board. She asks Reagan where it came from. She claims that she found it inside of a closet. Chris wonders if she's been playing with it, and she has. Willing to show her mom how to to do it she places the board on the table tennis table 
table tennis table again. <laughs> uh, Chris grabs a chair as um, Reagan places her hand on the planchette. She tells Reagan to wait a moment before uh, because they need to have two people. Reagan rebuttals that she, that you don't because she does it all the time. Chris is about to put her hand on the planchette, but it immediately moves to no on its own. Chris mm. chuckles that she really doesn't that it really or excuse me, Chris chuckles that she really doesn't want her to play. Reagan claims that she does, but Captain Howdy said no. Chris doesn't know who that is. Reagan explaining that she she makes the question, but he answers the question he answers them. Chris humors her. Reagan willing to show her, she calls out to Captain Howdy, questioning if he takes her mom, uh if he thinks her mom is pretty. It doesn't move again. Chris is still considering it to be a joke. Alright, you know what I just realized too? Mm-hmm. She's not that pretty. Kevin Howdy knows. Damn. Just kidding. Uh, That's awful. Uh, she is. No. Uh, no. Uh, but uh, Captain Howdy. Yeah. A- another horse reference. Right. Like a cowboy. cowboy. Howdy. Three. That's three horses that we got so far. So maybe there is a fourth like horseman somewhere. One of her drawings or something. One of the it has to be something. I did. I I just said drawing, so I didn't like specify. So I don't remember. But you're watching right. the film, so maybe you'll find it um, as you're watching through it again. But do you but, think it would be that fast? Yeah, it could be. He's one of the horsemen, maybe of the maybe. apocalypse. I mean, Captain Howdy. I don't know anyone who says Howdy was that's a cowboy, right? True. So. She's catch. she's putting Reagan to bed, um, taking him a, a magazine with uh, with the both of them on it, asking if she asking her why she's reading that, suggesting that the photo isn't even a good one of Reagan. Reagan chuckles that she wouldn't talk. Chris reminiscing that she didn't have um, her makeup artist there. She removes an eyelash off Reagan's face, asking about what she wants to do for her birthday, mentioning about how nice it is uh, being on a Sunday so she doesn't have to work. Reagan's, it, Reagan isn't sure on what she would like to do. Chris thinking that um, thinking they could go sightseeing and the following night, they'll go to see a movie. Reagan allows her to be bring Burke, thinking that her mom likes him. Her mom doesn't understand what she means. Reagan cracking a smile, questioning about her marrying him. Chris laughs, <laughs> not understanding why she thought that. Not wanting to marry him, Reagan confirms if her mom doesn't love Burke like her dad. Chris admits that she will always love her father. Excusing the reason why Burke is there so often is because he's just lonely. She gives her goodnights, concluding that Burke and her are just friends before kissing her goodnight. What? Burke is just fucking weird. Yeah. Like, he's very much... Hollywood, if you know what I mean. <laughs> oh, yeah. Very much Hollywood, this Burke character. I do like the relationship she has with her daughter. They're definitely like best friends. They actually get along. They tease each other. Uh, yeah, that's even her the rock. back and forth, like, of course I like him. I like pizzas too. You don't see me marrying pizza. Right. Yeah, she does mention that. That's right. Um, yeah. It's just like a very good relationship. Um, Great dynamic introduction to like these two characters and the love that they have for each other is very deep. And they, they, they've gone through a tragedy together, of like, like, hey, like, even though I'm not with your dad, it's a situation that they've became stronger together. Right, it seems like right, yeah, cool. yeah, absolutely. Cars is at a bar grabbing drinks for him and the president of university, um, Tom. He sits at their at their table, letting Tom know about his mom and how she's alone. Tom offers to, uh, for him to be relocated. Cars no longer wants to do this particular job, finding it to be no good. Tom claims that he's the best that they have. 
Carr's questions this, explaining if it is more than psychiatry. Some of these people's problems come down to faith, vocation, and the meaning of their lives. Not being able to deal with it anymore, wanting out because he finds himself unfit, thinking that he's lost his faith. Back with Chris calling the operator to reach her ex-husband with Sharon, pacing back and forth, upset that he didn't call Reagan for her birthday. Reagan, unfortunately, hears the conversation sitting on her bed to take her shoes off. Later that night, Chris receives a phone call about her needing to be on set. She turns over to see her daughter asleep next to her. She asks Reagan why she's there. Reagan tiredly claims that her bed was shaking and she couldn't sleep. Well, shit. No, thank you. Yeah. Mm-mm. I don't like Mm-mm. it. The rattles in the attic continue as Chris walks through the hallway. Wanting to check it out for herself, she opens the attic door, releasing the ladder. She tries for the light, but it won't turn on. Another crashing noise, Reagan lying in bed with a fearful expression. Chris lights a candle to take with, to take with her up the ladder. She enters inside the, the attic, looking around for the room for what she believes to be rats. Running into something and hurting herself, she moves it out of the way so she can continue searching for the rodents. Finding some traps that are still intact another crash from across the room she heads over toward the noise her candle lit bursts into a larger flame startling her carl pops up starting her again (laughs) she tells him not to do that he apologizes but takes this as a fucking told you so moment about the rats (laughs) see no rats no rats we have a possession going on dummy (laughs) we got some other weird shit happening (laughs) but this is a great scene a lot of tension a lot of tension tension building um, even like the the effects of like the flame going like so so fucking cool. It, it's it's a cool scene for sure, without a doubt. And like I said, this movie has such a great way of doing like lighting where you can kind of see everything, but you can't see everything as well. Uh, it just creates that tension of her being in that attic, looking around, and you can barely see every stuff, everything like her, which makes you really put yourself in the position of her being up there. Yeah. It's cool, absolutely. Like I said, first time watch is always the best watch because you really don't expect that yeah. uh, fire to like burst. Yeah. And I think it got I remember, me again. Yeah, yeah. I was about yeah, to say, it reminded again. me when we recorded last time that you said it got you again. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I mean, I haven't seen this movie in years, but like I forgot that because of the tension, I was like, oh shit. <laughs> like, what's about to happen? Yeah. That's so. what's happening. Ugh. It was scary. It, like, it, it was startled scary. me. It it's lit. startled it's me. Lit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah okay. Cuts <laughs> to a priest carrying two pots of flowers from the church. He kneels before the cross before placing the plants next to one of the statues, about to sit 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 it over to, to the statue of Mary, but he's mortified when he sees that the statue has been vandalized by the devil. <laughs> this looks crazy, though. It's like cone nipples and like a, yeah. like a and very like strange a like phallic. penis. Pipe coming out. Yeah. It's bloody, it's bloody, bloody hands. hands. Bloody around the vaginal region. This is this is a lot. And you said like they kind of explained this in, um, in three. three yeah. Which makes no sense why it's in this one. That's Because they don't come back to it ever they don't, again. No, but that, that's the reason so, why I think three and one are supposed to technically be coinciding. Yes. With each which other. Which makes sense. Right. But years down the line. <laughs> well, he's in jail, right? right? For doing these crimes. Um, so they caught him. No, I'm just saying like movie release wise. Oh, oh like, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No one knows what this scene was all about yeah, until, until like, like years 20, later. Years. Yeah, 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 of course. <laughs> Meanwhile, Cars so like, sure. is in the hospital with his uncle to see his mom. His uncle explains that she won't let a doctor come near her, screaming at everyone, including the radio. Cars is upset that he didn't call him sooner. His uncle continues that they gave her a shot and, and brought their... And 
brought her there until the doctors operate on her leg, taking her right out, out of there two or three months later. His uncle tells the nurse that they would like to see her. As he's talking to the nurse, Cars looks at the female patients that are demanding uh, that are deemed mentally unstable. His uncle commenting about him being a psychiatrist if he wasn't a priest. The nurse comes over to open the door, his uncle allowing him to go inside, willing to wait for him. The nurse takes him in, letting him know uh, where to find his mother. A couple of patients grab onto him. He forces them off of him the nurses assisting he continues toward his mom sharing that he's there she cries asking him why he put her th- put her in there in the first place he tries telling her that that he's going to take her home but she doesn't want to hear it shouting in greek while moving away from his touch cars questions his uncle to put her somewhere else his uncle rebuttals that they don't have any money to place her in a private hospital quick cut to cars punching the shit out of a punching bag <laughs> then we jump to chris's home where she's throwing a house party so some astronaut dude is speaking to uh, Father Dyer about this space pro- about his space project and what he's working on. Dyer asks him to take him along next time. He doesn't understand what f- what for. As Dyer jokes that uh, he wa- he wants to have the first missionary on Mars, or Dyer's flirting with you. You ever think of that, Mister Astronaut Man? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah, hey, could be. I'm just saying, man. I'm just saying. <laughs> Priest need love too. <laughs> <laughs> oh no 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 meanwhile Burke is drunk off his ass harassing Carl assuming that he's a Nazi Carl immediately corrects him that he's Swiss Burke not believing it calling him a Nazi bastard as he walks away Chris asks Dyer who the priest is over at St. Mike's she describes him Dyer knowing exactly who she's speaking of naming him and sharing that his office is behind there him being the psychiatric pastor c- continuing to let her know that his mother passed away last night explaining that she was living by herself a couple of days uh, passing um, before they found her Burke is still harassing Carl calling him a Nazi pig uh, that being the last straw Carl goes over and chokes him while Burke just angrily throws his glass on the ground while being <laughs> choked everyone runs over to break them up Burke just wondering what there is for dessert <laughs> this is great chaotic scene it is does it, it make is. sense to the story no do no. i like it sure why not i love it yeah i love it because it's funny it's funny yeah, it's yeah, funny yeah. reagan is asleep in bed chef kissing her or excuse me chef kissing chris kissing her good night <laughs> um chef i was just chef kissing that, that scene uh questioning if she's sleeping she doesn't under, she doesn't answer just opening her eyes as her mother leaves out of the room that was fucking creepy super creepy that got me. Yeah, she's like, like, like back no downstairs. Swan. Chris and Sharon help Burke Chunk's ass out of the house. She lets him know that where his car is and his driver is waiting for him. He gives her a hug, about to say something before he leaves, but dismisses it and just leaves. Sharon and Chris head back to the party where Dyer is playing "Shake That Ass" by Mystical. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> He's <laughs> just playing the piano. Um, as everyone else sings along, Dyer explaining his idea of heaven being a, a nightclub where he's the entertainer and them loving him. Sounds a little uh, little vanity to me, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's like I'm basically a godlike figure. A little conceited there. piano, basically. But I love this scene because the shot is just one long take. Uh, looks at all of the characters and slowly pulls back to reveal another character that's about to enter the room. Yeah. Uh, it's well crafted. This very, is a beautiful well scene and a horrifying scene that we're about to talk about. Absolutely. 
He continues playing. Reagan coming into the room. Dyer stops the song to bring attention to her. She looks at the astronaut right in his eyes, saying, quote, you're going to die up there, end quote. He drops his smile before she pees on the floor. Chris goes to her aid, apologizing on her behalf, excusing that she's been sick and she didn't know what she was saying. He brushes it off, letting her know that it's okay. She excuses herself with her, her daughter to give her a bath. She asks her daughter what uh, what made her say that. Reagan doesn't answer her. She's now in bed asking Chris what's wrong with her. Um, she uh, approaches Reagan's bedside, reminding her of what the doctor said about it being just nerves. She, she just needs to make sure to take her pills. Reagan nods um, her head before her, mom's leave, her mom leaves out of the room. Man. What a scene. Yeah. Like this, this really just kind of brings out a lot of that fear and innocence. Right, right. It, right? She's, she's in the position where she feels like she's exposed, she's vulnerable. Something just happened to her that she can't even explain herself. And she feels bad about it. She's like, what's wrong with me, mommy? Like, right. I didn't mean to do that, but like it happened. Yeah, it's kind of like it's kind of low key heartbreaking to see that like she's going through something she can't even explain or control what she's doing sometimes. Yeah, and that's where like she she realizes it and she like self reflects is like there's something wrong with me. Right, like mom, help. This is her first like major like plea for help. I think, but I agree. I agree. Chris um, hears scrubbing downstairs. She checks on Willie scrubbing, asking if it's coming out. She believes so. They are both startled by Reagan screaming for Chris, accompanied by with banging. The light flickers as she runs back into Reagan's room, her bed jolting every which way as she screams for her mother to make it stop. Chris jumps on the bed alongside her, trying to force the jolting bed down but to no avail. Cut to Dyer walking through the halls of a dorm building, knocking on the door for Karis. Inside his room, Karis asks Dyer where he got the money for the whiskey. Dyer claims that he stole it. Karis sighs that he believes him. Dyer continuing that a college uh, president shouldn't drink, setting a bad example. Karis begins to cry and blame himself for not being there for his mother. Dyer has him lie down, helping him in bed and taking a cigarette. Helping him take his shoes off, Karis jokes about him taking uh, taking them off. Dyer rebuttals with another joke about uh, telling fortunes by reading the, the cresses, telling him to shut up and go to sleep. He goes to uh, turn the light off, Karis stopping him before allowing him to do so. He tells Karis goodnight before walking out, Karis concluding um, that stealing is a sin. He falls asleep having a dream about his mother. Flashes of the demon is accompanied with him screaming for his mother as she cries and walks back into the subway. Cut to Reagan screaming as Dr. Klein and his nurse are trying to administer a shot. She screams that she doesn't want it, Chris trying to calm her down as they restrain her, claiming that that it'll help her. She screams that she doesn't want it again. The doctor jabs it into her arm anyway. She spits in his face, calling him a fucking bastard. (laughs) She said that with all her chest, too. Yeah. (laughs) Man. I wonder what her mom was thinking when she had her kid in this film. Like Linda Blair's actual mom. <laughs> because she has to be on I set. I mean, yeah, yeah, she had to be there and witness all this. It's like, all right, this stays here. Right, for <laughs> real. Like, do not pick up any of these bad habits. Or, <laughs> swear to God. <laughs> this is probably like the, like the hardest thing as a parent to watch. It's like, okay, it's like I know it's just a movie, but you're crossing lines in this movie <laughs> for sure. 
And that's that's the thing that makes this movie so uncomfortable. You, you're seeing things and hearing things from this child that should have never, ever come out of a child's mouth. Right. Or seen a, a child do some of the acts. So I, I'm sure it was probably super uncomfortable for her real mom, to be honest. I'm sure. I'm I, sure. I don't know how that conversation starts or ends, but it's damn. Like, it's like the scene where Mick Lovelin, Mick Lovin in Superbad had to have his sex scene. Right. He was 17 when that happened, and his mom had to be there for that. Yep. How fucking awkward. <laughs> yep. Anyway, Kara says a prayer uh, for her mother during his sermon before closing out uh, with his with his congregation. Meanwhile, Dr. Klein comes into the hallway to let Chris know that Reagan has a symptom of a type of chemical electrical activity in her brain, affecting her in the temporal lobe, finding it to be rare, but it can cause hallucinations, usually happening before any convulsions. This convulse uh, this confuses her. He explains the shaking of the bed must have been due to a muscular spasm. She denies that it wasn't a spasm explaining that she got on the bed and it was shaking and thumping with her on it as well. He continues with his analysis that it is Regan's brain. Chris wonders what causes this. He answers that a lesion in the temporal lobe, it being a kind of seizure disorder. She doesn't understand how Regan's whole personality can change. He sits down, letting her know that this is common, it's sometimes turning into criminal behavior. She sarcastically asks for him to tell her something good. He explains that if if it is a lesion, then all they have to do is remove it well it's just that easy it's just that just easy, that easy. You know who why didn't you yeah. tell me that before oh, come on spasms. is that why the bed was all floating <laughs> up and down and like knocking us all around with both of us on top yeah that's true well i do i do love all of these medical scenes and i know some people who have gripes with this and they want to get to the possession stuff faster i think the medical stuff is no, actually just as scary and more realistic and exactly. then it's terrifying to see these, these procedures are not easy procedures. Right. They're, yeah, like you said, they're pretty frightening. They're very scary. They're very intense. Yeah. Uh, especially done to, again, like a child is going through all of this. And we as the viewer and the mom should, well, the mom should know, like, this is not going to help at all, too. Right. And that's the thing that, like, sucks. Like, this person's going through a lot of stuff that most adults hopefully would never go through. But she's going through it as a child and plus what's actually really happening too. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. I mean, and Freakin also (sighs) worked his best to have the medical procedures and and things like that seem as real as possible. Yeah. And I think you fucking nailed it. And I think it's also, it makes the movie more intense in the fact that they've tried everything and they still can't figure it out. And towards the end, we get to see... What really happens. Yeah. yeah it, it builds like, okay, we, we tried everything else. We tried being logical. We went through the medical field of everything. And that's still not the issue. Right. The more terrifying conclusion is now the issue. Now we have to take care of that. Right. Cut to a nurse wheeling Reagan in on a hospital bed into radiology, which I would also like to uh, mention uh, that the radiologist assistant is Paul Bateson, who was hmm. actually a uh, convicted murderer. Shortly after this film. Yeah. Yeah. 
This uh, the assistant asks for her to scoot over to another bed. She weakly does so. He moves the table down as the other nurse preps to take her blood pressure. They place their, uh, these two nodes on her shoulder. The radiologist warning warning that she'll feel something cold and wet before applying it. He clears the syringe as Chris's uh, as Chris watches with the doctor from another room. He applies the local anesthesia before uh, taking another syringe-like tube to release the blood. She winces in pain as he continues, pulling out, um, pulling out the cap, causing her blood to shoot out. Jesus. He feeds something into it. She continues whimpering and wincing in pain as he attaches a tube to extract her blood. The, uh, they tape her head down, moving over the EEG, um, it starts up banging loudly as she screams. And this sounds like someone is literally banging a tin trash can over right. and over in front of this girl's face. Like I said, like the, the sound design in this movie, they choose weird moments of intensity to drown out everything that's going on on the scene. So like in the beginning, we get that with all the dogs fighting and stuff like that. Uh, or the conversation, the plane drives by. Yeah. And now, now this was like the medical equipment. It's kind of like um, segments of the movie of like intensity. And yeah. then we get that nice slow down and then it gets back. It almost feels up. like it's act splitting. Yeah. In like a way. When they do things like this. Because uh, after this, like, she's screaming and all this is banging. Then we go into, like, um, Dr. Tanny, who's then checking her x-rays for her brain, right. claiming that there's nothing there, wondering if Klein would like him to, to run another series. He doesn't find that necessary, wanting Tanny to see her again. A nurse comes into the room, letting Klein know that Chris is on the phone, claiming that this is urgent. Um, Klein asks if Tanny would accompany him, and he's uh, willing to do so. Cut to the McNeils. The two doctors ring the doorbell. Sharon immediately answers the door as Reagan is crying and screaming upstairs. She shares that the things have gotten worse since th she's found them. As they rush to her aid, they question if he's if she's having spasms again. She lets them know that she has, but they are now violent. He wonders if she's been giving the medication, and she has. Tanny asks uh, what medicine is it, um, it was. Klein sharing that it was Thorazine, before that Ritalin. Sharon knocks on the door, letting her, her know that the doctors are there. And I think both of these um, medicines, if I'm not mistaken, deal with schizophrenia. I believe. Mm, I don't know. But um, uh, I can me, see that. Let me fact check really quick. Um, but I'm pretty sure. Uh, narcolepsy. So, hmm. never mind. Uh, and ADHD. Um, and the other one was called Thurazine. Yeah, let's let's grab that one. Let's check that one too, um, and just see that one is for schizophrenia. So mm. there we go. So that's for schizophrenia and, and bipolar disorder. Um, so yeah, I thought I remembered that one. Um, uh, shit, lost my spot. Uh, Sharon knocks on the door, letting her know that the doctors are there. She opens the door, revealing Reagan being thrown back and forth as she yells for her mother to make it stop. And she's like, like her back is literally oh, yeah. going back and forth, back and forth. She's hopping on the bed. She's getting like, it's, it's fucking crazy. Intense. Crazy. It's so insane what's happening here. Oh my God! He's shouting that the, that it's burning, and for her to make it stop because he's trying to kill her. 
Oh my goodness. Chris yells for the doctors to do something. Why don't you? As they both <laughs> stare in absolute shock, Reagan officially goes through her possession as her eyes turn stark white as something bellows in her throat. Klein tries to get to get closer. Reagan backhanding his ass like the pimp she is, yelling in a deep <laughs> masculine voice for him to keep away and this is sound as mine. Yeah, this is fucking great. This is so intense because this is where things escalate pretty rapidly. Because from prior to this, we just got the bed shaking and, of course, the, the weird knocks in the night. Yeah. But this movie doesn't stray away from going zero to 100 real quick. Oh, yeah. This movie don't bullshit. And, um, that's the thing, that's that's the the thing, thing I like about The Exorcist. This movie does not bullshit around. Yeah. When the possession happens, it's done and it's like, all right, now it's all demonic, yeah. fucked up shit that we're about to see. And I love and, that we still stay medical, though, right? Like, we're right. still trying to um, deal with strict science here. We're not um, jumping immediately to, which, oh, she's possessed. Like, we're yeah, jumping which to. Which I, I like to like, think like that really helps the movie. Like, they're backs are against the wall. They can't do anything else. To, and it's so frightening to see a small child go through all of this. And when I was talking about it the last time we recorded, was like seeing her actual throat enlarge. Yeah, enlarging. It's like, it looks too realistic at this it point. It looks intense, man. And like I said, like this movie doesn't age because of the practical effects and the way it looks. And they do such a great job. I still can't even figure out how she gets the like handprint on her face. Oh, so yeah, when, easily, yeah. like that's perfectly edited in or cut or like whatever. But they figured out ways to do things that looked terrifying in a realistic way. Yeah, you're like, I, I believe all of it. That's like crazy to look at, but like I can see it. David Gordon Green has extremely large shoes to fill. I think yes. he understands that he does, but I so genuinely do not <laughs> think he is the proper person for this. Uh, I just yeah. don't think he's the proper person to do this. I genuinely Who don't. Who would? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I would like a more indie director to okay. kind of go across this one. I, I would say someone like Adam Egypt Mortimer who did Daniel Isn't Real. Okay. Um, I, that's actually a pretty good one. Yeah, I, I would I would I think he would be a, a really, really good choice. Uh, I would even I would even say Anthony Scott Burns, who did Come True okay. as well. Um I, I feel like he would also kind of do a really, really interesting take that. on the exorcist. Um but I would say more more of an indie director to tackle this because I think David Gordon Green is gonna go really like Big. hard on the spectacles. Right. And I, it's gonna feel like the conjuring, and that's that's my prediction. Like I don't, I don't, I don't think he's really but going like, to nail it. To not conjuring one, but like conjuring three. I, 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 I don't three? know. Like I think it's gonna be good enough to be like a, a conjuring one because Halloween 2018 was fantastic. True, that was a great movie, and he ha really had something there. He just started really going off the rails with his sequels, which we know that he is planning on doing a trilogy of The Exorcist. I don't know if it's going to be the trilogy where it's going to follow the Exorcist, the Hederic, and Exorcist Three. Even though the Hederic is completely not even recognized, Sidelined, yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't know what he's doing. I don't know what what his concept is here, and I'm I'm curious. I'm going to watch it, yeah. obviously, but I think he has extremely large shoes to fill, and I think he understands that. But I just don't think he's the right person for this job. We shall see. We shall see. David Gordon Green, if you're listening to this, you're never listening to this. But if you're listening to this, I'm still going to watch a movie. 
I'm just telling you that now. You still got my money, so don't worry about it. <laughs> she falls to, <laughs> to her knees, yelling for them to fuck her before dropping back and screaming violently again. Jesus Christ. And then, of course, it's the fuck me. Fuck me. And it's, it's just like, oh, a child. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Chris sobs. <laughs> the as parent she, aside. What did I tell my daughter into? Chris sobs as she hears this coming from her daughter. Reagan is slapped across the face by an unseen force mm. and restrained by the doctors and Carl. They give her an injection uh, while Sharon pulls a distraught Chris out of the room. They wait for the doctors to come out of the room. Klein sharing that Reagan is heavily sedated, most likely sleeping until the next day. She questions how she can fly off the bed like that. Tanny shares that pathological states can produce enormous strength. Giving an outlandish example of a 90-pound woman is able to lift the wheels off of a child pinned underneath a truck, considering this to be the same principle in this particular case. She questions what is wrong with her. Klein is still going with the temporal lobe. She's not hearing this shit, knowing something <laughs> else is going on, yelling if he saw her or not, and that her daughter is acting if she has disassociative identity disorder. They didn't say that, but I'm, I'm PC in this shit. Um, Tanny shares um, that there hasn't been more than 100 authentic cases of disassociative identity disorder. Understanding the temptation to reach out, of, out to a psychiatrist, but any reasonable one would ex- exhaust semant- uh, somatic possibilities first. She questions the next steps he believes that a procedure to remove the lesion but it will require another spinal um and spinal tap i mean she scoffs that she as he questions um that what they missed in the eeg could potentially turn up there eliminating other possibilities cut to reagan going through another extremely loud procedure just to have everything come back as normal Again, Klein timidly shares the information with Chris. He asks if she keeps any drugs in the house. She tells him that they don't. He wonders if she's being honest. She rebuttals that she, that she is, um, adding that uh, she doesn't even smoke weed. He asks, he's like, oh man, well, that's your problem right there. He asks if she plans on going back to LA soon. <laughs> She isn't, letting him know that she's building a new house and that her old house has been sold, wanting to take Reagan to Europe for a little while after she finished school, wondering if, uh, wondering why he's asking. He finds he finds it to be time for them to start seeking psych, uh, psychiatrists. Chris is driving down the road, passing up a plethora of people, cops running, running down a large set of stairs. She pulls up to her house, entering her home to the phone ringing and the lights flickering. She answers it. The lights stop flickering, but nobody is on the other line. As she walks through the house the lights cut off she calls out to her assistant but she doesn't receive an answer she goes to check on reagan her room is freezing from leaving the window open she goes to cover her daughter up with a blanket leaving out of the room hearing sharon come back into the house chris yells at her for leaving reagan alone sharon confused wondering why burke didn't tell her that he was staying with her she shares um that she left uh, she left to pick up medicine. Chris groans in annoyance as the doorbell buzzes, Sharon admitting that she sh- uh, should have known better. Yeah, Sharon, yeah. you should have known better. First of all, why would you put this this man in charge of this child? Right. I mean, I guess he's there over all the time and whatever, but... I don't give a shit. Still. There is no man like for my kid at least. Right. Like I that I've known. I don't I don't know how long she's known Burke, but I'm just going to assume she's only known him since she started fucking working with them. Could be. Yeah. Cuz we don't know. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So, I don't know. Anyway, Sharon asks about the results. Chris answers the door, responding that they have to look for a shrink. It's um, it's Chuck somberly coming into the house, wondering if they've heard. She doesn't know what he's talking about. He shares that Burke is dead. Thinking that he, uh, he must have been drunk, falling down the top of the steps, breaking his neck by the time it hit the bottom step. She sobs and dramatically bangs her fist on the wall as she continues sobbing and as he tries to console her. And the next scene. It just gets cut real quick. Fade to Reagan with the psychiatrist <laughs> being hypnotized. He instructs her to open her eyes when he touches her forehead. She does so, her eyes dead and filled with emptiness. He asks for her some basic questions before um, asking if there's someone inside of her. She monotonically claims that uh, that sometimes. He wonders who it is, but she doesn't know. He questions if it's Captain Howdy, but she still doesn't know. Wondering if she if she allows him to uh, to speak with Captain Howdy, will he answer? She responds, no. He wonders why. She expresses that she's afraid. But the psychiatrist believes that he'll leave her once he talks to him. He stands up, speaking to the speaking to the quote-unquote person inside of Reagan, sharing that they are both hypnotized and must answer all his questions, asking him to come forward and answer him. A picture of Reagan falls off the mantle as she begins to growl. They are all surprised, Chris and Klein moving back at, at, uh, a little as they w- continue to watch. The psychiatrist questioning who is inside of her. She looks up at him, grabbing him by the balls, squeezing them so hard until he falls on the ground screaming. Klein rips her off of him, holding her by, the, by her arms as she s- continues to scream. Well, does that answer your question, mister? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Katakara is getting his uh constant workout on. This dude is forever working out. Just boxing, running, whatever. My guy is built. He's like, you know, sometimes it's therapeutic, you know, it exercise is. and stuff. That could be his way of like calming down. But like I said, this it's is just weird seeing like priests and shit do normal shit. You know what I'm saying? I guess so, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like I said, like this movie likes to spend time with characters after these stressful, intense events, so that it has that that time to build up again. And, like every time we see Regan, it's just going to be more and more and more intense. And that's why I love it when she's in her room because you never know what's going to happen once they open that door. And that's the real big effect with the first time watch is that you're constantly like, damn, once they go in, anything's game and anything could happen and. That's the uh, exciting part. Anything goes. Anything goes. Being watched by a cop named Lieutenant uh, William Kinderman on the bleachers, Carr stops by the bleachers to grab his things. Kinderman calls out to him. Cars wonders if they've met before. He answers Cars that they haven't, but others have um, said that that you can tell you can tell it's him because he looks like a boxer. Introducing himself in his division, Cars still wonders uh, what this is all about. Kinderman agrees that he does look like a boxer, claiming that he looks like John Garfield in body and soul. Cars questions if people tell him uh, that he looks like Paul Newman. He agrees as Cars walks off. Kinderman continues walking with him, asking him if uh, if he knew Burke. Cars admits 
missing seeing him. Kinderman questioning that, understanding that uh, he must be uh, familiar that he died. Cars agrees that that he's heard from the papers. Kinderman wondering his take on witchcraft. Cars once once did a psychiatric uh, psych- psychiatric paper on it. Kinderman wonders if the desecration of the church has anything to do with witchcraft. He responds that maybe, thinking some rituals use uh, in a black mass. Kinderman stops him. Asking if he uh, if he read how Burke died, Kyrus understands that he fell. Kinderman gets conf- confidential for a moment, explaining that Burke was at the bottom of the steps with his head turned completely around. He braces himself on the gate, questioning Kinderman if it uh, happened in the fall. He states that it is possible. However, Kyrus completes the the word "quote unquote" unlikely. He continues that they have a witchcraft-type murder and black mass-type desecration in the church. Cars questions him in thinking the killer and the desecrator are the same. Kenderman believes that it could be someone who has an, is, who has an unconscious rebellion on the church. Car sarcastically claims that it is a sick priest. Kenderman understands that this is hard for him, but since his, he's the psychiatrist, he could he would know who was mentally sick, but he doesn't know anyone who fits that description. Kenderman believes this to be ethical. Knowing that, uh, that he wouldn't, he wouldn't tell him either way. Cars agrees. Kinnerman threatens him uh, in going to jail, referring to another psychiatrist. This happened to in California. I do want to uh, bring up the thought in my head uh, really quick before I forget it. Um, the killer in The Exorcist Three, I think it was called the Gemini Killer. Yeah, right. I remember okay, because um, the killer was possessing Caris. In Exorcist Three, right? Because the the killer uh, the killer was uh, Brad Dorfman, or Dorf, excuse me, it, Brad Dorf. So yeah, um, from the cell, right? From the cell, and it was yeah, it yeah. was it was actually Father Karras that was in the cell, right? Um, and I think that's why they were like, "How do these killings happen?" <laughs> but but as we saw exactly. in, in three, uh, he could possession hop, so he could yeah, he yeah. could hop into different people and shit. Cars questions him, but he can cont- he considers uh, that he's only mentioning in passing. He claims that he could always uh, tell the judge it was a matter of confession before walking away. Kenderman catch- catches up to him, asking if he likes movies. Cars very much enjoys movies. He shares that he gets pa- uh, passes to them all the time, and, and his wife gets tired uh, and. And never likes to go. He, I mean, Kinderman, not Cars. Cars obviously can't have a wife. He claims that he uh, he would like uh, that he would love to talk film and critique together. Asking if Cars would like to go with him to see Othello. Cars asks who's in it. Uh, Kinderman answers Debbie Reynolds in Groucho Marx. Cars claims that he's seen it. Kinderman asks him uh, one more time if he would if he think if he thinks of a priest that fits the description. Cars is annoyed by Kinderman um, once. Uh, Excuse me. Cars is annoyed, but Kinnerman wants him to answer the question, calling him paranoid. Cars leans in and claiming another raise did it, wanting to wanting him to pick up pick on them instead. Or excuse me, another race did it, wanting him to pick on them instead. Damn, bro, why you gotta throw them in there? Kinnerman threatens to have him uh, depart it. Um, or deported, excuse me. Cars mm. is about to walk inside the building. Kinnerman claiming that he lied and he actually looks more like Sal Minio. Ooh, burn. Got him. Got him. 
your bitch ass. Uh, cuts a parachute clinic. The doctor showcasing Reagan thrashing around on camera, claiming that her condition is a rare condition that they only see in primitive cultures called somnambulum form possession. Possession. <laughs> Nailed it. But they don't. They but they don't much. Excuse me, but they don't know much about it except it starts with a conflict or guilt, leading to delusion of their body in being invaded by some alien intelligence or spirit. Chris yells that she isn't going to put her child away in some asylum. They apologize to her, but she's frustrated that 88 doctors can't give her a complete answer. Dr. Barring Barringer moves to his seat, sharing that there's an outside chance for a cure, thinking it as a shock treatment, considering it to be a shot in the dark. She tells him to spit it out. Another doctor chimes in, questioning if she has any religious beliefs. She doesn't. Another doctor asking about Reagan. She doesn't as well. Chris uh, uh, Chris wanting to understand why. Beringer asks if she if she's ever heard of an exorcism, briefly explaining what it is and that it is still practiced in secret by the Catholic Church due to embarrassment. However, it has worked, but not the way the church believes. Rather, it is a force of suggestion, the victim believing that they are possessed, which causes it. So if they believe in exorcisms, that can have it disappear. She clarifies that she should take her child to a witch doctor. Silence in the room. Chris heads back home, Carl helping her uh, take Reagan back inside by carrying her. Kitterman goes back to the scene of the crime for Burke, uh, staring up at the stairs. Chris checks her daughter's scars, moving her hand uh, to find a crucifix underneath her pillow. While Kitterman still investigates the area... Um, finding st finding the statue of something in the weeds. Chris leaves out of the out of Reagan's room, calling Carl to ask if he put the cross in her bedroom. He ignores the question, asking if if she's going to be well. She more sternly questions him, wanting him to tell her. He claims that he didn't, and it wasn't him. Back with Kitterman, wa walking up the steps, coming up to Mc to the McNeils. Meanwhile, Chris is speaking with Sharon and Willie about the cross being underneath Reagan's pillow, wondering if they put it there. Sharon claims that she didn't, as well as Willie. Carl knocks on the door for Chris's attention. She frustratedly uh, asks if what he wants. He timidly shares that a man is there to see her. She questions who. She meets Kinnerman in the foyer. Hmm. All right, there's a lot going on right now. There's a lot. Also, the little like trinket he finds on like near the stairs is one of her little clay little clay animals. things, right? Kind of looks like a horse. Kind of looks like a horse. Can you see that thing? I'm going to rewind the 10 seconds. Yeah, rewind that thing. Let me Put see the that. Brightness up. None. Yeah, turn that up. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I can, I can see that. Sorry for the silence, everybody. Yeah, it's like, we're looking at the footage. I can see that um, a little bit. It's a little gobbly gooky, but I, 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 I can see that. I can see that. So four horses. I knew it. Theory confirmed. <laughs> Found it. While moving Fact. his spoon up and down in the coffee, he questions if Burke was in Reagan's room the night the night he died. Uh, she doesn't understand why he would ask. He just wants her to question the. He just wants her to answer the question. She shares that she doesn't because she was heavily sedated. Her question. Um, he questions her condition. She agrees that it is serious, but they don't know what's wrong. He comments for her to uh, watch out uh, or excuse me, to watch out for drafts during this, during this season, causing Ugh. more bacteria to grow on the carpets. 
Thank you. Uh, he, Carl interprets them, or excuse me, interrupts them to ask if she needs anything else. She dismisses him, wondering why Kenderman is asking these questions. He finds it strange that Burke was there for only 20 minutes, leaving Reagan all alone. She, not finding it likely that he fell out of the window, a fall not even being able to, to do what, what happened to his neck. In his opinion, he was killed by a powerful man. Finding it um, probable, that Burke was killed, then pushed out of Reagan's uh, window. But nobody was in the room except for Reagan. Hmm. Questioning how this could be possible. Thinking that it is possible that someone came there when Sharon left and left before Chris returned. She questions if her housekeepers have visitors or if she was expecting a package. They don't, and she wasn't. Carl being the one that, uh, that takes care of that, wondering if he would uh, like to speak with him. He doesn't find that necessary about to mention something else before getting up from the table. She asks if if he would like some more coffee. He accepts it. She t- It looks like he didn't even drink the last one. She takes his <laughs> and her cup into the kitchen. He follows her, finding a drawing and some handmade figurines, calling it cute. He asks if Reagan is the artist. She um, she hands him the cup of coffee while taking the, the turtle figurine. Wanting her to check with her daughter if she has seen Burke in her room that night. She doesn't understand why why he would have reasons to go inside her room. He understands using an analogy for, for just... Uh, I don't know what I was trying to say there. Um, she agrees. She'll ask her what, when she feels better. He asks for an autograph for his daughter. She agrees to do it. Handing her a pen and paper, she asks for her name, admitting that he lied and it's actually for him. Revealing that he saw the movie Angel um, about six times. She, mm-hmm. uh, she helps him with his coat. She's like, she's like, oh, okay. Oh, great, right, great, great. You're, you're a fan. You can leave now. Uh, she helps him uh, with his coat as he gives her a compliment about her being a nice woman. You know what? You're a nice lady. <laughs> <laughs> wanting him to uh, wanting to come back when Reagan is feeling better. When he leaves, she immediately closes the door and locks the latch. Man, so the drawing that he picks up. Yes, I'm going to show it to you. And obviously, this is a, a podcast with our voices only. Yes, but tell me that's not four horses and a little baby horse. That let could me see be that Regan. thing. Give, give me that. Give me that. Give me that phone. Give me that phone. Let me I see. think that's four horses okay. with a baby horse, which is Regan you know because she's the fifth horseman. You know, <laughs> you know what? I think I think you're right. I well, think, they look like I four horses right. and a baby horse. Does look like four horses. And you know what? I'm, I'm gonna go a step further here. We got a white horse mm-hmm. incorporated in this as well. We do. Which wasn't the white horse of death. Isn't that what the white horse represents? Sure, why not? I, uh, let's, yeah. let's look up the four horsemen. Fuck it, we're here. Why not? Let's do it. Uh, theory confirmed. Yeah, I mean, it's now factual. Facts are facts. I mean, some probably <laughs> somebody probably already totally fucking got this, but well, I'm like, sure. <laughs> you're like, well, like actually, whatever. Um, um, actually, so no. Okay, I was I was. Don't incorrect. you ever lie to me ever again? <laughs> no, I was correct. Actually, oh, you were correct. So yeah. the pale rider is death. So the pale white horse is death. Black is famine. Red is war, and white is conquest or pestilence. Interesting. So. But she talked about a gray horse at one point. That's the white horse. That's the white horse. Yeah. The white, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I see. Yeah. I see. I see. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, these are some terrifying horses. Yeah, man. Was the first horse a black horse? I don't know. I don't remember. I can find out. But the lady was dressed in black. So good enough. Yeah. Man, it's pretty wild. It's pretty wild. But I guess that makes sense. I mean, the Book of Revelation and 
you know, into times and all that shit. That makes sense. Trying her best to hold back tears, she's walking back towards the stairs, a loud crash in Reagan's room. Um, a man's voice yells for her to do it while calling her a bitch. Chris bursts into her room, finding all of Reagan's things blown around in the room as she repeatedly jams the cross into her vagina. The man, man's voice saying, quote, let Jesus fuck you. End quote. Over oh and God. over again. Chris runs over to her, grabbing the cross and struggling to get it back. Reagan grabs her head as the voice yells for her to lick her, uh, to lick her, then slaps her. Chris goes flying across the room, screaming in pain with blood across her face. It's her daughter's blood on top of that. Sharon and Willie come running to her aid. The chair slides the door closed, then a dresser moves over toward um, toward it. She whimpers as she crawls away, trying her best to move the chair away from blocking the door. That's another thing that I really enjoy about this movie. We're never truly alone. No. So that makes things kind of oh, yeah, yeah. scarier. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Reagan turns um turns her head. Black it was a black horse. Wow. Okay. Okay. Theory confirmed. Reagan <laughs> turns her head almost uh, mockingly in a complete 180 degrees, almost mocking Burke's death. Oh, that's right. Fuck, dude. Dude, it's such a horrifying scene. Oh like I said, like this movie God. looks too good. Like, it's too so realistic. good. It is so good. Speaking to Chris, questioning if she knows, quote, what her cunting daughter did. End quote. Chris, Chris screams as she tries her best to move the chair. Fades a car is walking to meet up with Chris on a bridge. I love where it's just this like... This is a scary image. Oh, yeah, for face. sure. Uh, oh, my gosh. It's perfect, too, because look how dark her eyes are. Yeah. Like, no, like, like The makeup design on this is incredible. Incredible. It's, incredible. it's terrifying. Absolutely incredible. He approaches her. Without looking at him, she tells him to go away. He introduces himself. She apologizes while returning the, the greeting with a handshake. She asks him for a cigarette. He lends her he lends her one while lighting it for her. They walk together. She wonders how a shrink became a priest. He reveals that it's actually the other way around. Them paying for his medical schooling. She asks where he studied. He just names off a bunch of prestigious schools. <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> she, she's like, so like, did you fly there? Like, with, like <laughs> as she as they continue walking, she questions if he's a friend of Father Dyer's. He admits that he is. She wonders if they are pretty close. They are. She questions if he t- talked about the party. He shares that he did. Um, that uh, has her smile. She brings up the question about him be- possibly mentioning her daughter and what she did that night. He didn't know she had one, claiming that Dyer never mentioned it. She admits that uh, priests are pretty tight tight lipped. Cars assumes that it depends on the priest. Chris asks, uh, what if a criminal or a murderer needed some kind of help needing to turn the, turn him in? He confirms that he wouldn't, but he would try to convince him to turn himself in. She finds that intriguing. Finally, pop the question on needing an exorcism. He's confused by the left field question. She hypothetically asks if a person is possessed, how would they get one? He mocks that, it, uh, that he would have to be, build a time machine so they can go back to the 16th century. She doesn't understand. He admits that it just doesn't happen anymore. She questions since when did that stop? He answers, I just told you, 
the 1600s <laughs> or the 1700s. Like, come on, ladies, keep like, up. You're now. not listening to me or what? <laughs> um, but he actually mentions uh, since they learn about uh, mental illnesses. Sharon, that since the day he's joined a priesthood, he's never met one priest that's done an exorcism. Fair enough. She sobs that she believes that her daughter is possessed and she needs an exorcism. He takes her by the arm, telling her that uh, that's more of a reason to forget about an exorcism because to begin one, it could probably make things worse. He takes her by the arm, or excuse me, um, she wonders how. He continues that the church conducts an investigation to see if it's even warranted to perform one. Mm. She thinks that uh, that he could do it himself, but he can't, needing church approval. But that wouldn't help. Chris asks if he could see her. Karst expresses that he can um, as a psychiatrist. She cuts him off that she needs a priest, explaining that they, they sent them to her. And now he's just going to pawn her back to them. She pleads for somebody to help her. He p- tries to explain that Reagan might have something else. Else, but Chris doesn't want to hear it, asking if he could just help her while sobbing on her on his shoulder. Cut to Chris bringing uh, cars to, to her place. They already um, hear the moaning and wailing that's coming from inside Reagan's room. They both walk upstairs, seeing Carl bringing down a chair from the attic, commenting that she do- that it doesn't want straps. Cars walks past him, opening up the room to Reagan's strap to the bed. Her face more disfigured and her eyes yellow and green throw up accompanied around her mouth and on her gown. He greets her, closing the door, letting her know that his, he, he's a friend of Chris's and that he wants to help her. In the deep, manly voice, she, she tells him to loosen the straps then. He comments about her possibly hurting herself, calling her by, by her name. He says that she's not she's not Reagan. He um, asks for them to introduce, introduce themselves, sharing his name. She immediately springs up, admitting that she's the devil, wanting him to undo the straps. He tests her to make those straps disappear if if that's who she actually is. She claims that she that it, um she claims that's too much power to display at this time. Or she says something like something else, like that's like too much like vile power or something like that. I can see my something along those lines. Yeah, he's like, uh, why not make it Okay. She says that's much too vulgar a yes. display of power. That's much too vulgar of a display of power. I think she was going to break her wrist and just slide them out. And that's why she said vulgar. Right. Because I think it was going to be quite violent for her to make those straps, quote unquote, disappear. <laughs> oh, yeah, you could be right. Yeah. So like, I will literally chew my arms off. Right. Yeah. Like something like crazy. Exactly. Like, I, I if will. If you want me to. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I will destroy like, this kid. We are not there yet, father. <laughs> He questions where Reagan oh, is. Scary. She um she says that she's in there with them. While walking over to uh to uh while walking over to something, he uh tells her to show him Reagan and loosen one of the straps. In the homeless man's voice that Karis saw in, on his way to visit his mother, she mimics that he told Karis, quote, Can you help an altar, an old altar boy, father? End quote. He stops, confusingly staring at her as she claims that his mother is there with them as well, asking if he would like to leave a message. <laughs> that was fucking crazy. Would you like to leave a message, father? And, sh- and she'll see that she'll get it. He sits down, asking if that's true. Then she must know his mother's maiden name. Asking her what it is, she stares at him. He moves closer, asking her again. She then projectile vomits all over him. 
Oh my god. In Lots his mouth. of pea soup. Lots of pea soup. Terrible. Cars is in the basement. Chris washing um and ironing his clothes for for him as he looks over at Reagan's artwork. After she's done ironing his sweater, she folds it and hands it to, and hands it to him. He thanks her, letting her know that he's only against the possibility of doing Reagan more harm than good. She claims that nothing he can do can make it worse. He claims that he can't do it, needing recorded proof to send to the Vatican. She questions what type of proof. He gives the example of her sp- of her speaking another language she's never studied. She wonders what else, but he doesn't know. Needing to look it up, Chris thought he was supposed to be the expert, but Kara's rebuttals that no one is the expert, and she might know as much as him about uh, she might know as uh, as much about exorcism as much as any other priest would. Sharing that Reagan isn't saying that she's um, just any demon, but the devil himself. Letting her know that most people with mental illnesses have always told him that. Thinking that uh, thinking what is best for her is six months under observation in one of the best hospitals that she could possibly find. Chris rebuttals that she knows in her gut that whatever that is upstairs, it isn't her daughter. Yelling for him to tell her that he's 100% sure that her daughter is fine, except for her mind and that she doesn't need an exorcism hmm i mean at this time right we have to take in consideration that mental illnesses is a very very young concept right right um so with mental illnesses being in a very very young concept here uh, this 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 response for her is very tone deaf in today's standards, right? Telling me you're one hundred percent sure that my daughter is fine, and it's, and it's only her mind, and all, and and that she doesn't need an exorcism. So, like, it's a little tone deaf to today's standard, right? Because in today's standard, like, we know that like your mind is very powerful, and especially with when you're dealing with like um, psychosis and psychiatric hallucinations, and um, even let's go let's go in a, in a less more intense term like ADHD or right. uh, compulsive behaviors and things like that I mean ADHD could be so bad to the point where um, you have impulsivity to the point where you don't even think about how you this could possibly things. hurt someone right right and you'll just do it and it could be like for it could be something very simple where yeah. it's just like I'm hungry. I'm going to go get food for myself, even though you have a house full of family members who also didn't eat. So it's like right, right. things like that that can also happen of how powerful your brain is. So like this statement reigns true that no, you're not that person. Yeah. Like, you know, like it, it it is in some ways a separation between the two. Um, I do want to point out something about uh, symbolism that we have in one of the prior scenes that you talked about. Oh, yeah. Uh, when he looks at her drawings, we see a griffin, a lion with wings, essentially. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was like, oh, I wonder if that like represents anything. And so I started looking it up right now. And the griffin uh, represents strength and power, which is why it became a very frequent image on medieval coats of armor. But it's also an image taken up by Christians. It became a surprising symbol of Christ. Uh, according to the Academy of Classical Christian Studies, the griffin became, for Christ, a rich symbol of two natures of Christ himself. The eagle, which is the lord of the sky, uh, which reminds us of the divine nature, while the lion, which is the lo- uh, lord of the earth, reminds us of the human nature. And I was like, fuck. 
That's crazy. So more some symbolism in this. Yeah, ten points for Gryffindor. Touch of Gryffindor is being walked out by Chris. He stops to ask if. <laughs> Which is the chosen one? Which is Harry Potter? Which is uh, it's, all connected. it's all connected. It's all connected. So Voldemort is basically the demon. It's the same story. It's the same story. Gutsikar <laughs> is being walked walked out by Chris. He stops to ask if Reagan um, knew that a priest was coming over. She responds that she didn't. He wonders if she knew that his mom had died. Chris did, but Reagan had no idea. Wondering why he asked. He claims that it's not important. Important, telling her uh, good night before walking off. While Karis is walking, Kinderman is in, in outside the house, staking and <laughs> encasing the McNeils. During mass, Karis is doing his the ritual for communion, um, but his mind is elsewhere. Um, Cut to Reagan looking far worse, calling this an excellent day for an exorcism. He chuckles, asking if it if it's. If it likes that, it smiles, admitting that it would intensely. He wonders what that uh, he wonders wouldn't that drive it out of Reagan. It responds that it would bring them together. He confirms if it's talking about it or Reagan. Hmm. Or I think he means him. Him right. or Reagan. Um, but it is talking about it and Karis. Karis sits down the the drawer of the the drawer of the nightstand pops out on its own. He humors the demon, asking if it did that. It claims that it did. He closes it, asking if it did it if it could do it again. It will, but in time. <laughs> Garz demands it to do it right now, but it repeats it, speaking in Latin to him. He turns on his recorder, intrigued on it speaking Latin. He asks a question in Latin. It responds in French before it starts to laugh. He questions how long does it um, does it plan on staying inside of Reagan. It growls until she rots in, in the stinking earth. He pulls out a vial of holy water. Its eyes grow wide, asking what that what that is. He shares he shares it, throwing it on top of her. It's screaming that it burns as it starts speaking backwards. He sits on the bed, moving the microphone closer, asking it um asking it who it is. But it continues screaming and speaking backwards. Cars heads downstairs as Chris is on the phone with someone. He goes to find her inside her office. Chris somberly tries hanging up the phone, lying that everything is fine uh, when it isn't. She hangs up. Cars comes into the room. Sitting across from her, she offers him some scotch. He accepts it, wanting it with water and ice. She doesn't have any ice there, so she's going to grab some in the kitchen, but he's willing to just take it straight, wanting her to sit down as he looks stressed and exhausted. She kneels down. He asks where Reagan's father is. She answers that he's in Europe, and she hasn't uh, told him what's happening. He believes that she should, pulling out the vial, explaining that he told Reagan that this was holy water and he sprinkled it on her and she reacted violently, admitting that it's just tap water. She doesn't understand the difference. He illustrates that holy water is blessed and that he, uh, and that won't help support a case of possession. She sighs that Reagan killed Burke, pushing him out of the window. He's in shock. Cut to Karis playing the tape back for the uh, for the language lab director. He turns it off, confirming that it is a language, but it's it, it being in English. Karis doesn't understand. He shares that it's in reverse. You dumbass, playing it backwards. It being uh, it's saying, "quote Give us time. Let her die. I am no one. I am I am no one. Fear the priest. Fear the priest. Mirin." End quote. Inside his room, he listens to, to it over inside his room, rewinding it when the demon says the name Mirren. 
He's startled by his phone ringing, answering it, answering it as the audio plays in the background, telling Chris that he'll be right there. Cut to him uh, running over the McNeils, Sharon letting him in. She sneaks him upstairs, whispering that she doesn't want Chris to see this. He asks uh, her what's wrong. Or I guess he was telling Sharon that he will be right over, not Chris. Mm-hmm. Um, he asked her what's wrong. She shushes him, putting on a coat before entering inside Reagan's room. It being so cold that they could see their breath. She moves the covers back, undoing Reagan's pajama top to reveal her stomach. He shines a light on it. Quote, unquote, help me is scratched on her stomach. Car stares at the, at it as it becomes clear and easier to read. Cars goes to visit Bishop Michael. Michael wonders if he's convinced that it's genuine. Cars responds that he doesn't really think so, but he believes that it meets the criteria to perform the ritual. What do you mean you don't think so? You literally <laughs> just watched help me come out, come out of this little kid's stomach clear as day by itself. Like, what do you want? Next time in cursive? Or like, what yeah, do you like, want? what do you need here? What else do you need? Michael questions um, him doing the exorcism himself. He does. Michael uh, thinking it to uh, thinking it to be best to have someone with experience, someone who spent time on foreign missions. Karis understands. Michael is willing to check to see who's around to assist with an exorcism. Karis kissing his rings and leaves. Why do they do that? I don't want to kiss yeah. your dirty ass ring. Yeah. Ugh. You just probably wiped your ass. I don't know. Michael is speaking with the priest or uh, with the president of the university, Tom, about it. Tom sharing that Carlos does understand the, that background, doubting that uh, there's any danger having in him assist, admitting that there should be a psychiatrist present anyway. Michael wonders who would perform the exorcist. Tom suggests Lan- Lancaster Marin. Michael thought he was in Iraq. Tom agrees that he came back about three months ago and he's at Woodstock working on another book. <laughs> Woodstock. <Right>. Working on <laughs> another book. Schedules <laughs> <laughs> on the party. <laughs> Michael questioned if he's too old and his health. Tom believes that he must be all right if he's still digging up tombs and plus he has experience. Ten or, ten or 12 years ago in Africa, the exorcism supposedly lasting months and it almost killed him. Great. So let's put him back in that situation. Now that he's fucking 10, 12 years older. <laughs> awesome. True. Great idea. They're like, yes. Go to Father Mirren walking up the hill. Another priest hands him a letter. He quickly uh, reads it before continuing up the hill. Fades to... Who's <laughs> this random dude running up to him? Does he run he's away? Like, yeah, he runs away from <laughs> him. Like, here you go. Ah. It's like running towards the camera, too, so it just makes it that much like, weirder. <laughs> Like so there, there's just a random amount of scenes in this movie where I'm just like I question it and I'm like you know fuck it why not? So it's like priest priest <laughs> here's a letter and like then nothing he slowly he t- grabs he it takes it so and slowly runs back he like trots back <laughs> the fifth horseman <laughs> that totally looked like trots just back. a dude running on set running off set like yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like uh, where's our actor uh just get an extra. <laughs> just run to him run out all right fades to fade, fade to reagan appear appear before he ends up in front of the house on a foggy evening capturing one of the most iconic scenes in cinematic history and this scene is so iconic that everyone everyone knows this scene yeah everyone like this scene is this scene when i was a kid was talked about in grade school. Like, 
Jesus Christ. This particular with the showing the shining of our eyes as well. My God. Yeah, it's just like, you know, this is the showdown. Right. It's damn near poetic. It really is. Chris opens the door for Mirren. He introduces himself, asking if Karis is, is there already. Karis comes, comes out to greet him. They shake each other's hands. He's about to say how much of an honor it is to meet Mirren, but the demon screams from upstairs, startling everyone downstairs. Yep. Mirren asks if Karis is tired, requesting some things that uh, he will need for Karis to grab at his residence, needing a cassock, two surpluses, uh, sur- surplices, a, a purple stole some holy water and a copy of the roman ritual wanting them to begin now cars ask if he would like to hear the background of the case he asks why uh while cars is running uh as well, excuse me while cars is running with the items in hand marin's vo that it is especially important for them to avoid conversations with the demon back inside the house they are pre- uh, preparing for the exorcism as Mirren continues that they can't listen to the demon admitting that mm. he is a liar and he c- would like he would like to confuse them, but can also mix lies with the truth to attack them. The attack is psychological but powerful, needing him to remember not to listen. Cars believes that it would be helpful to provide some background on the different personalities that Reagan has manifested, seeing that there's um, that there's three. Marion cuts him off that there's only one. He kisses his stole before pulling around pulling it around his neck. They head upstairs to a moaning and howling Ra- uh, Reagan. They both enter inside the chilling room to Reagan growling at them as she continue as she's she continued to be stri- strapped to the bed cars closes the door while Chris stands in the doorway with tears in her eyes they get Ooh. into position Marin grabbing the holy holy water vial doing the sign of the cross over over all of them as the demon vulgarly says for him to quote stick his cock up her ass end quote he demands it to be silent, throwing holy water on top of it. He was not having that shit. He was like, shut the fuck up! <laughs> that vulgarity. <laughs> it cries and writhes in pain as he throws some on, some on cars. <laughs> Car- what if cars would have also writhed in pain? <laughs> it's so... It, it, this scene is scary, but they're all comedic. It, it is like, comedic. You motherfucking cocksucker. It's like, shut up! It's <laughs> <laughs> with more holy water. It's like, you, you be quiet! <laughs> shut up, you! <laughs> it's just like a very comedic scene, but no, it's, it's scary too. Yeah, absolutely. Cars kneels down. They open with the uh, with the Our Father prayer. The demon spits in Mirren's face. He takes off his glasses and continues the prayer with wiping his face. He uh, She continues howling and sticking her tongue in and out as they continue the prayer. She begins. She becomes louder and louder as they as they continue going back and forth with their readings. The demon shouts that Kara's mother sucks cocks in hell, but they continue trying their best to ignore her. The bed starts to lift up and down, banging on the ground as Marin continues. He stands to continue the bed uh, writhing in writhing violently as he throws more holy water on her the bed begins to float cars is in absolute shock and fear as he stands there <laughs> i never noticed the heater on the side as well that's a great like like touch oh, to yeah. try to continue heating up the room while she's cold and things like that i thought that was a great touch of world building right right, right. Marin calls to him, telling him to give the uh, give the response. Without even blinking, he says it, allowing Marin to continue. The lights flicker on and off. A flash of the demon's true face appears to Karis. Back to Reagan, 
back to Reagan's, uh, the demon sticks its tongue out at him before slamming back down on the bed, screaming and howling. It turns over as Mirren places the cloth onto her head, slowly throwing up green vomit. And this was like scary when she was slowly throwing it up. Like, no, I don't know what's like. It's like oozing out. Yeah, like I don't know what's weirder. It feels like like she might choke on it or something. Exactly. Like, that. Like, like it seems a lot like there's more no danger gag to reflex. It. Right. There's nothing there. It's just, just like slowly coming oozing out. out of her mouth. Cars assist him, finishing off his response of the prayer. Marin hands him the vomit-soaked stole for him to clean in the bathroom. He's like, "Oh, what's this?" Uh, he runs. <laughs> he runs water on it and begins scrubbing as Marin tries covering his ears as he walks away. Shutters and cabinets slamming uh, around him as the demon laughs. Cars comes back into the room with a freshly clean cloth, handing it to, back to Marin. He starts coughing, becoming more and more frustrated with the demon shouting that it casts it out. As he continues that Jesus commands him, the room around begins to. Cry crack and become destroyed around them. Karis is, hey, getting their deposit back. Karis and him kneel next to her, signing the cross on her forehead as he as she tries moving her head out of the way. She sits up with a smile, turning her head a total 360 degrees, Marin calling and onto Karis to finish. He does. Um, not taking his eyes off of Reagan, her face shifting between hers and the demons. A loud crash and earthquake in the room caused them to fall, coming back up have the demon a shout that Karis killed his mother leaving her to die alone he shouts for her to shut up god shut up another loud bang causing him to fall Marin continuing his departure of the demon the blankets get ripped off telepathically the straps undoing her eyes stark white as she ascends and floats with her arms stretched out Marin claiming that it's power of holy water another earthquake around the room Marin continuing that it's the power of Christ that compels her they they shout in unison that quote the power of Christ compels you the power of Christ compels you while Marin throws holy water on top of her she receives a, a laceration on her leg but they continue anyway she gently descends back down onto the bed the priest not letting up car springing into action to tie her hands together He's about to go to the feet as Marin continues on his commands, but she whacks him in the back of his head. Marin not tripping. He continues anyway. Karis th- <laughs> just gets fucked up in this moment. Yeah, Throwing more on. holy water on top of her, leaving Karis to get up on his own. More earthquakes fucking them up as they watch her screech, standing on her on her knees on the bed. An image of Pazuzu statue appears. <sighs> I just need a breath after all of that because goddamn, there's so much going on, so much going on, uh, and and it all looks great and terrifying, and the makeup design and the even practical that, effects, even the, 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 the lighting, scene looks the shadows. Um, this is where like it really like hits shines, the 100 right? miles per hour. Yeah, it shines like yeah. this. This is like top tier. Yeah, great third act. Easily reveal. one of the best possession like scenes ever. Oh yeah, like I, I, it is, it is, yeah, it is, like yeah. easily, like they, I feel like a lot of different possession scenes haven't really kind of scratched this. <laughs> like, Nowhere near it, like you know, the, or exorcism scenes, I should say, uh, but because like, it's just all of these, all of this that's going on, like it's long, it's painful, it's intense, it's powerful, 
It's powerful. Yeah. The only other thing that I could think of is, and a lot of people probably haven't even seen this movie that I'm about to like shout out right now. It's a it's a American guinea pig movie, um, but I think it's called Brother Solomon. Um, no, 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 that's not right. Um, it, damn it, I'm I'm blanking on the name guinea pig. Uh, it's it was the last one, uh, the Song of Solomon. Mm. Um, but the Song of Solomon, it's if you guys want to check it out, <clears throat> excuse me. If you guys want to check it out, it's free on Tubi. Um, it came out in 2017. It's about an hour and a half long. Um, but the movie is maybe I want to say 15 minutes until you get to the exorcism scene, and the whole movie is the exorcism. Oh wow! Yeah, it's gory as shit too. Hour 15 of just exorcism. Yeah, it's super gory. This is the the poster. Yeah. Um, it's intense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the Song of Solomon. If anyone's curious or wants to check that out, uh, the acting is atrocious, <laughs> but the uh, gore is phenomenal. So if you want to go in for the gore, just the gore, go for it. Mirren slightly gets back up, continuing the exorcism as she rises in more pain. Karis is still trying to gather his his bearings before grabbing the sheet. Plus, he get on top of her. Mirren asks him if he's tired. With heavy breath, Karis nods. Mirren decides for them to rest before they start again, leaving out of the room. Karis um, stays seated on the bed next to Reagan as she wheezes. Fuck that. Uh, cut to the priest <laughs> sitting on the steps. Karis is staring down on, down the steps as Marin is looking down. He accuses himself uh, from Karis to go to the bathroom, which allows Karis to decide to go back inside Reagan's room. Marin takes a pill um, while he has tremors. That would have been funny if they would like shown them like eating a sandwich or something <laughs> as their break, <laughs> <little> break yeah. <laughs> inside the room Karis's mother is sitting on the bed staring at him he moves around the bed it changing back to reagan she's shivering and sweating at the same time accompanied by cries <laughs> so terrible. and it's like her growls are like <sighs> <sighs> like it's with every breath that right. she's taking <sighs> man it's intense um he takes a cloth to wipe her head. His mom's voice, she, um, in his mom's voice, she asks why he, is he doing this, uh, doing this to her, pleading for him to stop, telling him that he's afraid. He dismisses it, knowing that it isn't his mother. He takes the stethoscope, checking, checking around her body. Marin comes into the room, asking what it is, uh, what, what it, excuse me. Marin comes back into the room, asking what is it. Uh, Kara's comments that it's her heart. The demon continues speaking to him in Greek. He shouts that th- that she isn't his mother. Marin tells him not to listen to- listen as Kara's begins to cry. The demon continuing to mimic his mother. Marin calls calls to him, telling him to get out of the room. Kara's approaches him, staring at him sheepishly before Marin assists him out of the room. Closing the door behind him, he approaches Reagan's bedside, placing the Bible on the nightstand and taking out a crucifix and holy water. She continues breathing rapidly and shivering, staring at the ceiling. He moves the blanket higher up on her before throwing more holy water on her in the sign of the cross. She winces in pain before going back to the catatonic state. He takes her hand as she gives the, the Our Father prayer. As he gives the off-fire brother, excuse me. Um, meanwhile, Karis is downstairs. Chris comes into the room asking him if it's over. He shakes his head. She questions if Reagan is going to die. He looks at her, telling her no, before silently going back upstairs. The doorbell rings, startling her. She checks the latches. Um, she checks the latches and latches the door. 
um, opening to reveal Kinnerman standing on the other side. Karas is back in the room, discovering Marin unconscious on the bed while Reagan is sitting upright. He picks him up, leaning him back to the back on the ground. Notices noticing that he's now dead. He starts beating on his chest as the demon watches, giggling at the sight of Marin. Karas calls it a son of a bitch before beating the shit out of Reagan. He yells for it to take him instead. Reagan is back as the demon um, has shifted inside of him instead. She's sobbing on the ground as his eyes have changed the color of the demons. He stares down at her, shouting no before screaming out. Before screaming and jumping out of the window, violently falling down the set of stairs, Kitterman and Chris run into the room. Reagan sobbing for her mother in the corner of the room. Fuck. Kitterman checks outside of the window, seeing Karis's lifeless body with blood pooling next to his body. This actually looks intense too. The amount of blood that's there. Oh yeah. A bunch of people run over to check on check on him at the bottom of the steps as a cop. Cr- as a cop car rushes to the scene, knowing that her daughter is back, Chris gives goes over to her daughter, sobbing as she embraces her. Kinderman, on the other hand, is in shock that he has two dead priests on his hands. <laughs> Dyer comes <laughs> down the steps, sobbing, holding Karas's hand, asking him if he wants to make a confession for his final breath. Karas extends his hand and and, and closes it. Um, excuse me. Karas extends his hand and closes it to answer yes. Dyer reads him his last rite after asking for his uh, final question of offering of offending God, which he extends his hand for yes. Cut to uh, cut to uh, day. The steps clean. Chris is packing up and getting the hell out of there. Sharon asking where she wants where she wants something. She tells Sharon storage, that being everything. Chris comments that she's going to miss her, asking her if she would uh, like to change her mind. Sharon doesn't uh, say anything. She's like, hell no, you guys crazy. <laughs> Chris grabs the last of her things to leave. Sharon takes a religious medallion out of her pocket, handing it to Chris, letting her know that she found this in her room. They embrace with a hug before Chris ca- calls Reagan down so they can leave. Outside, Dyer is in front of the house. They spot each other. Her, uh, he approaches her. She shares that she doesn't uh, remember any of it. He finds that to be good. Reagan comes outside. She introduces him to Dyer. Carl has the car packed and they are ready to go. She gives her her goodbyes, letting him know that she, she'll call him. She gets inside her car. Reagan's still there, noticing his collar, giving him a kiss on the cheek before they drive off. Chris calls him over, heading him um, handing him the medallion before they officially leave. Dyer walks over toward toward the stairs, staring down at, at them one last time. And then, credits. Man. This flick, man. What a movie. This flick, man. And there's Hell no, like, real, like, good resolve, too. It's just, like, it's just it's dark. Just, yeah, it's just ended. Yeah. God damn. So good. Very good. Incredible. Incredible. Masterful. Masterful. Some say they got movie facts. Oh, what? Movie facts? Oh, what? There's 512 movie facts right now. And, and I'm we're going through all, all of them. them. Fuck that. Just kidding. Due to death threats against Linda Blair from religious zealots oh, who believe the film glorified Satan, Warner Bros. had bodyguards protecting her for six months after the film's release. She was a child. <laughs> Great. She was that good. Mm-hmm. Um, 
On the first day of filming the exorcism se- sequence, Linda Blair's delivery of her foul mouth dialogue so disturbed the uh, gentleman, um, the gentlemanly Max von Sydow, Se- that he actually forgot his lines. <laughs> oh, wow. I can see that. <laughs> the original teaser trailer, was, which consisted of nothing but images of a white-faced demon quickly flashing in and out of darkness, was banned in many theaters as it was <laughs> deemed too frightening. Hmm. Yeah, that's pretty scary. Yeah. According to William Freakin, the subliminal shots of the white-faced demon are actually re- uh, rejected makeup tests for Reagan's possessed appearance. Oh, good. Because the <laughs> one you went with was fucking wild. <laughs> uh, the highest-grossing Warner Brothers film to, of all time when adjusted for inflation. Wow, that's crazy. That's wild. Um, uh, Let's see. Let's get a, a decent one. The bedroom set had to be refrigerated to capture the authentic icy wow. breath of the actors in the exorcism, exercising scenes. Linda Blair was all, was who, excuse me, Linda Blair, who was only on a flimsy nightgown, says that to this day, she cannot stand being cold. Yeah. Damn. See, too realistic. Yeah, for real. Uh Let's see. Um, if adjusted for inflation, this is also considered the highest grossing rated R film of all time. There you go. Damn. Screw you, Joker. Uh, <laughs> Director William Freakin eventually asked technical advisors Thomas Birmingham to exercise the set. He refused, mm. saying an exorcism might increase anxiety. Reverend, uh, Reverend Bur- uh, Birmingham wound up visiting the set and gave a blessing and talked to reassure the cast and crew. Wow. William Freakin had to take an all-British crew to film in Iraq because the U.S. had no diplomatic relations with Iraq at that time. They mm-hmm. were followed. To, uh, to, they were allowed to film near ancient buildings in actual arche- um, archeolo- archaeological digs on conditions that, uh, including uh, teaching Iraqi filmmakers advanced film techniques as as well as how to make fake blood. Huh. That's, cool. well, that's a pretty good trade-off. Yeah. Um. Ellen Burstyn agreed to doing the movie only if the character didn't have to say the scripted line, quote, I believe in the devil, end quote. The producers agreed to eliminate the utterance. Mm-hmm. Um, let's get one more here before we conclude. A decent juicy one. Uh, during the 1984 reunion cast of The Exorcist on Good Morning America in 1975, Ellen Burstyn told the story of of when she was in Tuscan, Arizona, filming Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore in 1974. And The Exorcist was opening in the city while she was there, so she went to see it. She stated that the scene where Reagan has her, um, our teragram, the scene where Reagan gets the the arteral catheter inserted into her neck was the part where most people fainted. After that scene, she saw a woman wobbling up the aisle. So Miss Bernstein followed her. When the woman finally fainted, Miss Bernstein was at, was at her aid, loosening her collar and talking to her. Then the woman began to uh, come to come to and miss bernstein realized that if this woman opened her eyes and saw her this might cause this woman to go into a full panic and shock miss bernstein's exact words were that she might think that she was in the twilight zone or something so miss bernstein (laughs) asked assistance from another person to help the woman recover instead damn Fuck it, let's do one more. William Peter <laughs> Blatty said that William Freakin misinterpreted the head spinning scene. He said Reagan's head was described as turning almost all the way around, not literally all the way around, rotating 360 degrees the way it did in the film. Huh. huh. And another fun fact, there are four horses in there. Are there? No, I'm just going to say, oh shit. 
I mean, we, we counted got it. it right. We counted it. <laughs> uh, well, let's let's just search for horses. Horseshoe popped up. All right. Uh, horse woman. Horse woman. Uh, parents of horse. Uh, Reagan is told she can't have a horse. <laughs> oh, she steals a cookie. That's what she stole. Okay. Um, not many people have seen those cookies come out of that out of the jar. Well, then Freakin says, so I have to tell him, uh, tell you what it is. Oh, because it's nothing. Okay, so that's why we couldn't tell what it was because she didn't take anything. Oh, interesting. That's funny, man. Anyway, let us know what you think of the Exorcist. I'm sure you probably enjoy this movie, and if you don't, let's talk about it. You could talk about it to us either on our Discord, which is in our show notes. Feel free to join that community. We are having an absolute blast inside that community. We were talking about Scream Six in there recently, um, and just talking about all our theories and all that stuff of what we think Scream Seven is going to be like. Um, so, by all means, come on in, join us. Let's have a lot of fun. Or you can talk to us on our Twitter, which is at Nightlight underscore Pod. That's Night with a K. But next month, we're coming at you with something that I found to be pretty fucking funny, um, <laughs> where it is uh, Boss Appreciation Day is happening sometime in that month. Um, so I decided to have a whole month about corporate horror or horror during your job. <laughs> Coined as have a bad day. And we're going to be kicking that off with mayhem. So excited to fucking cover this movie. Me too. So excited to cover this movie. But this was Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I was one of your hosts, Prince, also known as Head Knights. Alongside me, we had Freddy. Always keeping it spoopy. Always and forever. With your help, we can spread, we can reach more ghoulish nights with the recommendation of someone who would actually enjoy this show. If your podcast app allows you to rate this show, please consider us giving a five-star rating as it honestly does help us out a ton. For extra horror-related content, head over to patreon.com slash nightlightpod. That's night with a one. Okay. And remember, everybody, don't forget your nightlight.